Before I start this week's Financial Crime Weekly podcast, just a quick note of thanks to Sora Shimazaki, who took the photograph which adorns the cover art of the podcast. Let's crack on with it. Hello and welcome to the Financial Crime Weekly podcast. My name is Chris Kirkbride. The usual mix of sanctions, fraud, money laundering and something on a bit of a crypto inquiry. So we'll start with sanctions, first the UK, then beyond the UK. In the UK this week, there have been a few bits relating to the UK sanctions regime and the Russian and Belarusian regimes. First, HM Treasury's Office of Sanctions, Financial Sanctions Implementation, OFSI, has issued a general license allowing a person to make use of the retail banking services of a designated credit or financial institution to make or receive payments that are exclusively for the purpose of winding down business operations in Russia. This is happening with increasing frequency at the moment. Now, that license expires on the 5th of November 2022. Now, a couple of updates to existing government documents relating to Russian sanctions. First, the Department for International Trade has updated its general trade license, Russia Sanctions Vessels. The earlier version from April is revoked by this August update. Secondly, the Cabinet Office has announced an update to its Procurement Policy Note 0122, Contracts with Suppliers from Russia and Belarus. The policy relates to how contracting authorities can further cut ties with companies backed by Russia and Belarus. That's it for the UK. Beyond the UK this week, the European Union has announced restrictive measures on Ukrainians allied to Russia and particularly the Putin regime. The restrictions relate to the pro-Russian former president of Ukraine, Viktor Yanukovych, and his son, Alexander Yanukovych, and they're added to the list of persons, entities and bodies subject to restrictive measures set out in the Annex 2 Decision 2014 forward slash 145 forward slash CFSP for their role in undermining or threatening the territorial integrity, sovereignty and independence of Ukraine and the state's stability and security. In the case of Alexander Yanukovych, particularly, his addition to the list is lined uh, to his uh, transactions with the separatist groups in the Donbass region of Ukraine. A final point on sanctions. We've reported in previous weeks about the impact of sanctions on the Russian economy, and certainly in the early days there was quite a bit of speculation about what impact there would be on GDP in Russia following the extensive sanctions which have been announced globally. Well, more data starts to come out, although some of the data is is not particularly detailed. But anyway, this week Reuters reports that the Russian economy shrank by 4% year-on-year in the second quarter of 2022. If there is some consolation from Russia, and there seems to be from this report by Reuters, it may be that the contraction has bottomed out. There may be something in this. Certainly Russia has been seeking alternative trading partners and I suppose allied to this is news that Turkey has announced a 58% increase in vehicle trade with Russia, up to an eight-year high of $2.91 billion in the first half of 2022. That's it for sanctions. Now let's turn our attention to money laundering. There's been a wide range of activity this week on money laundering both in the UK and beyond. First, a consultation has been announced by the Financial Conduct Authority in the UK, the FCA, into proposed updates to the source book of the Office for Professional Body Anti-Money Laundering Supervision, or OPBAS. 
OPBAS supervises the 25 professional body supervisors in the legal and accountancy sectors. The proposals are designed to drive improvements in how professional body supervisors reduce money laundering in the sectors which they oversee. The consultation closes on the 29th of September 2022. In further consultation news, the Society of Trusts and Estates Practitioners has issued its response to the Financial Action Task Force call for evidence on amendments to regulation or recommendation rather 25 on transparency and beneficial ownership for legal arrangements such as trusts. You may recall that we looked at this in a previous episode of Financial Crime Weekly podcast. The, the FATF's call for evidence has now closed and you can see the Society of Trusts and Estate Practitioners' response to the call for evidence on the STEP website. In terms of guidance this week, the National Crime Agency has published its Suspicious Activity Reports SARS Reporter Booklet. The document is useful in providing concrete examples of SARS made by means of case studies, so it is instructive to read to anybody who is particularly involved in the white heat end of money laundering reporting. The document provides in its review of the case studies, and I quote, a review of case studies provided by law enforcement agencies and other end users of SARS demonstrates how they continue to be instrumental in instigating and supporting investigations to tackle a wide range of the highest priority threats identified by the strategic the National Strategic Assessment of Serious and Organised Crime. Interpol this week has launched a public campaign to warn individuals of the risks which exist to them being used, consciously or unconsciously, as money mules. The campaign, which was started on the 10th of August, will last for just over two weeks, concluding on the 26th. The campaign will explain how to stay safe and out of the criminal cycle by exploring how money-muling works, how to avoid becoming a victim, and the risks associated with money-muling. Such is the way of the world. The campaign will run across social media, all forms of social media, including a rather glamorous YouTube video, which I've seen, in an attempt to reach as wide an audience as possible, given that money-muling does not really have a typical victim. Finally, in relation to guidance this week, we return to the Register of Overseas Entities with news that Companies House has issued a letter reminding overseas entities which already own or lease property or land in the UK that they must register information about the entity itself and any beneficial owners by the 31st of January 2023. And finally, on money laundering this week, the Gambling Commission has announced more enforcement action in relation to money laundering failings. I mean, we looked at some last week, you may remember. This time it is online gambling operator Smarkits, Malta Limited, which has been sanctioned by a 630,000 financial penalty for allowing customers to, quote, gamble without adequate source of funds checks, without being, uh, being carried out, and failing to identify and interact with customers at risk of experiencing harm. The press release provides examples of one customer who was allowed to deposit £395,000 in a four-month period without the appropriate sources of funds checks being carried out by Smarkits, and another transferring significant levels of funds between bank accounts without scrutiny or source of funds checks occurring. As I've already said, the 
actions by the Gambling Commission have been discussed in the Financial Crime Weekly podcast in recent weeks. It's been incredibly proactive in this area, the Gambling Commission, and this is a further highlight of, I think, its current aggressive action in seeking to sanction those whom it regulates with a desire, certainly, to keep its house very much in order. Now we'll leave money laundering behind us and turn our attention to fraud. A recurring theme in the fraud stories we look at in the Financial Crime Weekly podcast has been the scale of fraud in the various schemes designed to support businesses affected by the restrictions imposed at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic in the UK and overseas. Indeed, a couple of weeks ago, we covered a story on insolvency restrictions imposed on an individual who'd abused the bounce-back loan scheme. Well, here we go again. This week, the Insolvency Service has announced bankruptcy restrictions against five separate individuals, amounting to a total of 48 years. Three of the individuals did what so many have done in relation to the bounce-back loan schemes and overstated their turnover in order to obtain an inflated level of loan. The other two were applications for a former business which no longer had a relationship with the applicant, while the fifth person, and this one I I kind of find most extraordinary, the fifth person made a successful application even though their business was not in operation before March 2020, which was the qualifying date which was set under the scheme. Now, I fully expect to see more of these announcements as the insolvency service is committed to pursuing these fraudulent actions in relation to the bounce-back loan scheme. Especially, I suppose, as well, given the scale of the fraud that we've identified on previous editions of the Financial Crime Weekly. In another fraud-related story, the Serious Fraud Office has reported on fraud conviction. Timothy Schools, who established an investment fund to provide loans to law firms pursuing no-win, no-fee cases, defrauded investors out of over £100 million who were promised that their funds would be given to high-quality law firms to fund cases with a high likelihood of success. However, the reality was quite different and the majority of the funds, approximately £40 million, were paid to just three law firms, all of which schools either owned or held undisclosed interests in. Of course, schools therefore was charged under various fraud offences under the Fraud Act 2006 and this week they announced that he received 14 years imprisonment. And finally this week, A story linked to the continuing efforts of policymakers globally to get to grips with the threats posed by crypto assets, cryptocurrencies and so on. This week in the UK, the all-party parliamentary group for UK crypto and digital assets has announced a wide-ranging inquiry into the regulation of crypto. One of the aspects of the inquiry will relate to the use of crypto in economic crime. The press release provides, and I quote, as part of its inquiry into Uh, The APPG, that's the all-party parliamentary group, will investigate the state of the UK crypto sector and recent concerns raised around financial crime and advertising. It will consider the growth of crypto over recent years and the need for regulators and government to keep pace with the rapid advancements in innovation and technology, as well as considering whether enough is being done in terms of consumer protection. The group will also look at international examples from other jurisdictions that have already taken steps to regulate the crypto sector. 
The all-party parliamentary group has launched a call for evidence in this wide-ranging inquiry, and that call for evidence closes on the 5th of September 2022. Well, that's it for this week's Financial Crime Weekly podcast, a nice short one. It's not going to unduly detain you, and certainly if you're in the UK, you can get back outside and enjoy the hideously warm weather we've got at the moment. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, if that's what you want to do. And you'll hear from me, all being well, once again, next week. 